I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z. We're back to talk about some Andy Milligan again here on the show tonight. We're going to be talking about 1970s The Body Beneath and 1973's Blood. Tonight's a vampire Dracula Wolfman episode of Andy Milligan. We're still stuck in the talky period piece monster drama era of Andy (laughs) Milligan. And Evan, what do you think? of the talky period piece monster drama era of Andy Milligan. He's getting good. This is, this is <laughs> he turned a corner. I'm proud of him. Okay, awesome. what does that mean you're proud of him? He looks like he's starting to care about stuff. I was struck just by some of the quality of the camera work and stuff in these. I mean, I just noticed uh-huh. that it looked like a real movie. Um, the editing and everything, um, costumes, yeah, didn't look like he the made acting is better. He's still sticking to these, you know, universal monsters, but it, it looks like he cares about what he's doing now. I think. Dude, I what do you think about that, Vaughn? I'm with them. These are top five for me right now. <laughs> yeah, well, listeners, if this yeah. is your first episode with us for Andy Milligan. Let's give you a quick primer. Yeah, you're you're jumping into the deep end already, but if you're not familiar with who Andy Milligan was, he was a director that made films through the 60s to the 90s. He was an American playwright, screenwriter, actor, filmmaker who made about 27 films. Most of them have gone lost. Some of them have become cult favorites for some unknown reason because they all look like they were made on 10 cents. But he mostly made at least what he was known for were horror movies, real cheapy 16 millimeter under $10,000 cheapy horror period piece movies where there's tons of incest. There's uh, family squabbles. Somebody inevitably turns into a monster and uh, there's a lot of talking that happens and not much goes on. But in his real life, he had a horrible life. His family life was awful with his mom. He was an out gay director at a time that that was really frowned upon. He was a tyrant to sit and work with. Most of the people that look back at the time that they worked with him don't have very fond things to say about him. (laughs) And after a while, he contracted AIDS and died in abject poverty in 1991. And they just basically dug a grave, kicked him in there and didn't even mark it. So we don't even know where he's buried in L.A. He's there somewhere. Wow, that was really just the most politest thing you've ever said about the man. Wow. (laughs) It's like the nicest thing you've ever said. Well, unfortunately, he didn't live a very good life. But he gave us a shining legacy. A shining legacy of a bunch of movies that are great to sleep to. Fortunately for tonight, we're going to actually talk about a couple of his better movies. I'm actually quite happy that this week we are no longer talking about any of the horse crap that we talked about last episode where we were talking about his remake of Sweeney Todd and 
a movie that shall not be named for the rest of my podcast, at least by me. We're going to take a short <laughs> break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about the first of two Dracula movies <laughs> that Andy Milligan did on the podcast tonight with 1970s The Body Beneath. So uh, stick around.
You are listening to Astro Radio Z. Come in, damn it. You're sure a punctual bastard. Hey there, smut lovers. Balls deep in a dirty little addiction to movies where werewolves kidnap and rape women for Dracula? Or perhaps you're a kinky pink freak who loves to watch mad men and women tie up and punish unsuspecting suckers, pouring hot wax on their aching naked flesh and driving them around the living room like pretty little ponies? Wait, I know. You love nothing more than a sweet topless self-flagellation session before the cross following oral indiscretions with a saucy satanic sister, you secret nunsploitation fan. We cordially invite your sinful self to join our shameless selves for the podcast at Orgy Castle. Exercise all that salty deviance from your system with hosts Paula and Derek as they pick one smutty film a week to indulge in and discuss. The podcast at Orgy Castle is on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you can find podcasts. Go. Subscribe. Come as many times as you want. Nobody will know but you and your headphones.
welcome back. Here we are to talk about Andy Milligan's Dracula with inbreeding movie, The Body Beneath. It's a slight retelling of Dracula, and Milligan just takes references from the original story and does what he wants with them, and he changes just enough of it to call it his own. Now, the plot of The Body Beneath is a family of vampires take over an estate known as Carfax Abbey. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Since inbreeding is destroying the family line, they need new blood to keep the family going. So they set out to find new sources. Now, Vaughn, yes, going into this movie, it is incredibly apparent that there's more money being tossed at this picture. There's dolly shots. The yep. thing looks amazing. It sounds like an actual movie other than the one shot in the beginning where they open the door and it sounds like the microphone's three rooms away. But the rest well, of the movie's yeah. actually professionally made. Walking Kinda. into this compared to the movies last week, this is a tremendous step up, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the one film that introduced me when I was like, I got that whole pile of stuff and I was like, oh, let me this, I put the first film and this is the first time I watched. And I was like, wow, this is great. And it kind of ebbed and flowed with his, uh, you know, his filmography because the films before this, there are some good ones in there. And then after this, it gets better. But then as he gets older and, you know, near the 90s, it starts to go to shit again. But I, I really like this. What is it? Gavin Reed, who plays the uh, the uh, Reverend, I think is probably just like he's a powerhouse in that whole fucking film. Reverend Algernon. He could have written pure shit, like just gobbledygook crap. And this guy reciting it, it was like, oh, OK, I'm in. Because he actually has the conviction and everything of an actual actor, unlike the the many people who he's just picking them off the streets in the other I, film. I do think that he's not able to uh, to convey, you know, a powerful patriarch of the family. Though he's kind of a whiny bitch. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, he is supposed to be the Dracula character. This reverend is supposed yeah. to be the head vampire with mm-hmm. vampire brides that are basically just women in the bluest of blue cake makeup. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. When they pop up out of nowhere, it's like, whoa, okay, I forgot this for a second. And they start to start annoying people. They didn't even attack anybody. They just kind of like huddle in rooms and corners. And, and it's they like, say hello. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's like, hello. Like, okay, what the fuck? Are you going to do something? No, I'm just going to stand here. It's like, okay. Sometimes they just tell you something in your ear. They just whisper something in your ear. And then for some reason causes you to go into a trance or something like that. <laughs> The rules are never established in this movie for the vampirism whatsoever. And I mean, going back to uh, Gavin Reed, I have to be honest, it's kind of like having Kip from Napoleon Dynamite be a vampire. (laughs) 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 Because he doesn't really do much of anything and he walks around and he's very kind of soft spoken about everything. And uh, the majority of this movie, again, is a bunch of people just sitting around talking in a house doing, doing not much of anything. The most of the, I like the plot is pretty interesting. It concerns this couple that are being sought out by the reverend. The yeah. reverend, they have to have this ritual once every, how many years was it? Was it I'm, like? I'm just going to guess it's 100. Every yeah. 100 years. They live by the cemetery and they all come back to life. And they all have to feast for this ritual so they can continue on. And they find one of their descendants and they want to use her as a baby machine because they've inbred so much in their family that Mm -hmm. all of their vampire line are starting to degenerate, which makes sense for the the brides, the blue cake makeup brides, (laughs) kind of like the product of this. Yeah, but like that's why he's doing blood transfusions because of the whole thing, because he really can't feed 
you know, I, I like the whole I like the whole concept of that. And then you have like what's his name? Uh Berwick Keller, right? It? Who played Spool, who played our, you know, our infamous Quasimodo, who pops up in a bunch of films. He was in, you know, The Rats Are Coming, he was in Nightbirds, he's in this. I think he's in Bloodthirsty Butchers. He plays one of the uh, mm-hmm. jerk offs in that movie. Um, and he plays a great Quasimodo. He's probably one of the best ones he's had because you clearly can see that he's just a guy with a, with a jacket with a cushion on his back. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to make it look like he's humping over, but he's and his character is kind of running around trying to save people and tr- they're trying to save the one girl that they're using as their baby machine. It looks like the same house that he's used for the rats are coming. There's some scenes in the middle too when they show when they're outside in the back when people are coming into the house. You can clearly state that it looks like, oh, it's the same kind of pillars in the backyard oh it might be the same fucking place okay that makes sense but i don't know i i i like the fact that yes the story is completely incoherent like all these stories but i i think that the conviction of the actors in the film this time compared to a lot of them where you can clearly state that they were either one-time actors or you know they had no right being actors and this one they all give their all to like the crap that he's giving them every day you know, and this feels like he actually had a screenplay written before he handed it to, to actors and he wasn't writing it on, you know, cocktail napkins the night before. And it's just I think it's just fun. I think everybody ta- everybody understands that they're making a campy film and they're just enjoying it. You know, it's helped out tremendously by the camera work. And it's obvious there was some money actually put into this one. Yeah, because even just the beginning of the film. It reminded me a lot of kind of like the genre Lynn vampire films. It was really dreamy in the women that are, you know, follow this woman in the cemetery. It sets it up really well. It's actually atmospheric. And then it goes to this sex scene with these with our lead with <laughs> Jackie uh, Scarvellis, who was from the rats are coming. The werewolves are here is yeah. our lead again. Uh-huh. And her and her fiance. This sex scene is probably the most extravagant sequence I've ever seen in a Milligan movie whatsoever. Well, until the well, until the fiance, like pretty much, you know, body slams her into the floor. Yes. And then rolls around with her. Uh, That scene where he's on the floor and he wrenches his head backwards to point towards the camera to speak right into the camera. (laughs) That was that was a decision. Like, that is not a natural pose. No. (laughs) But it goes to show you that he was actually thinking of some sort of artistic flair with what he was shooting in this film, as opposed to the rats are coming, the werewolves are here, which is just let's set up a camera and have people talk in front of it. And that's it. Yeah, it feels like he feels like he had the time. You know, maybe he was probably making maybe he made this first before he made rats are coming. You know what I mean? Because it's all in the same place. So he's like, oh, I like this place. I'll shoot this film next weekend and we'll do this one the weekend after. I actually have a script I wrote months ago that I can actually, we actually can do. So that, that was the question I had. Was this one of the ones that he made? You guys had mentioned that he made a few while they were in London or something. And so to have the disparity between the quality of the ones that we watched before the Sweeney Todd one and this one, it's like he definitely spent all the effort on this one. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's like, what what is it? Um, uh, Nightbirds is part, also part of this whole kind of uh, time period, mm. and that film you can definitely tell that he gave a shit about it. And it's a very small cast; it's only two, it's only two actors. But you can definitely tell that he probably had two films that he really wanted to do, that he really felt kind of honestly, I can get these done. And that was this film and Nightbirds. And the other ones were kind of like, okay, I have like another week before they kick me out of the state. I'm gonna make this movie real quick. Right. And that's what that's what feels like stuff like Rats are coming feels well, Rats are coming feels like he actually has a little bit more time, but 
Bloodthirsty Butchers feels like it's like slapdash. Like, all right, I have two weekends open. You guys want to do something? Okay, let's do this movie real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And this one, I mean, that sex sequence, there's actual continuity camera changes, something yeah. that's not in any of these movies right. whatsoever. There's a dolly shot, a long dolly shot. When I saw that thing, my jaw dropped to the floor. I'm like, <laughs> Who the fuck set up a dolly for Andy Milligan? Sure wasn't him. He doesn't give a fuck about this. Uh So um, right off the bat, if your big problem with Andy Milligan was that, you know, he typically just sets up a camera, sets up one light and just has people walk in front of the camera right and directly in like center frame blocked and talk. This movie kind of throws that out. It's actually a well shot film. So that's immediately a thumbs up for me mm-hmm. now the story itself while it has moments of it that are very interesting like the setup of it let's mm-hmm. this is again another one of those movies where it's front end heavy and back end heavy and the middle of it just kind of meanders around it reminded me a lot of the ghastly ones but the thing i like with that with this whole thing is unlike the ghastly ones is that i feel like like i said the, the actors know what movie they're making you know what I mean? They've all met with this guy before. They know what he's up to. And they're like, fuck it. Let's just play with it. Let's just have fun. And they seem to be enjoying themselves actually making it, unlike some of the other films that we watched, where the actors and actresses don't seem like they particularly want to be there half the time. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. The, the guy that could, played Paul was great. Yeah. Uh, um, Especially when he gets like kicked, when he's like, well, like he goes there to investigate his uh, fiance's disappearance because he knows that's where she was going. And he's like, uh, no, she's not here. And then all of a sudden he drags him into the fucking place. Like, it's like, okay. And he, uh, he, he gets tied up and he has to, that great sequence where he has to uh, break the glass and cut his hands free. Yeah. He's the that smartest was, one out of everybody. That yeah. was pretty cool. Like, <laughs> I would not expect that from Andy Milligan up till now. Honestly, what I couldn't get over with this was how he just decided piecemeal to just, I'm just going to lift so much of Dracula off into this film. Evan, when you watch this, the the direct correlation with Dracula, what did you think of his version of Bram Stoker's Dracula? Or even, I would say this is more like, he he saw Todd Browning's Dracula and decided to like, I'm just going to rip off a bunch of shit from it. Yeah, it's just sort of that tone. Just some of those elements are in there. But like you said, the rules are all gone and there's there's things that are unexplained. Like, why can't his wife speak? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has to he has to interpret what his wife whispers in his ear all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We find out that uh, vampires drink V8. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They, they, they have the infamous line from Todd Brownie's Dracula. We never drink wine. No, they drink tomato juice. <laughs> tomato juice. Yeah. For the most part, this movie fits together. Other than the weird, some of those weird little elements that are unexplained, the story seems to make sense in some respects. Now, the story is that this family has been here, the Fords from ancient Rome. Uh, They've been there for 2,100 years. Okay. And then we're meeting them on the eve of this every hundred years celebration or whatever under the cemetery. And he basically says, we got to leave in like two hours. So pack up quick. (laughs) I don't understand why, first of all. I mean, he tried to work something into it, a bit of commentary, because basically what he was saying is that we can't live here in London anymore because it's a police state. But America, you can just stay up all night. And there's, yeah, I think he's basically commenting on like 42nd Street. 
Um, well, there is that whole sequence at the end when there's the big feast yeah. of the vampires. The climax of this movie, after all this bickering and talking and arguing about, you know, we have to impregnate Susan, who is, you know, the baby machine so they can have a new thing. She gets tossed out the window and yeah. <laughs> Gavin has to literally convince all the rest of the vampires this is the climax. This is the epic climax of the movie. Convinced they sit and bicker about leaving to go and move to America. Yeah. And there's a one of the vampires gets up and literally says, go to America. Never. What is America? What is it made of? Pimps, prostitutes, yeah. and religious fanatics thrown out of England. But a few short centuries ago, they are the scum of the earth. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, but you're, but you're right. They throw out their original plan. Like, what got screwed up that they couldn't, you know, go on with the baby making program? But for the and most her- part, the, the 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 movie fits together. I mean, there's only one superfluous thing, which is Spool's history, his sad, sad history. And I think that's just to get us to feel sorry for him. I think it's to pad out time. <laughs> there are multiple sequences in the movies tonight. There, there is always some side plot. That's a random dude that's introduced halfway through the movie that ultimately just gets killed off. And it's just there to pad out a good 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> and I, mean, I think Spool I didn't mind. is that character. Yeah, I didn't, but he's in there for a lot longer than like 10 minutes of the movie. He's He he gets brought in. He gets introduced. And you're like, oh, Quasimodo. Great. Okay. Click. If you're, if you're doing a drinking game, take a big fucking drink. Because it's just like, oh, the one remnants of everything. And he gets brought in there and he tries to tries to help people out and stuff like that. Yes, he gets, you know, ultimately uh left. I don't mind the Quasimodo in this film for once. Usually I find it really kind of hard to sit there and watch because it's he's definitely there's always usually the comic relief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, we actually have a decent actor playing this character. Okay. <laughs> That's what's weird about it when he's telling his sad story. Yeah. He seems like he can speak. Like he yeah. seems like a normal person that just got beaten. But yeah. then, like, as soon as that scene's over, then he's like, <laughs> yeah. off. I know, it's great. Like, Where does that come from? It's great. That kick in? It's definitely a lighter movie than some of the other movies we've yeah. watched. It, it's pretty breezy, even at it's almost an hour and a half long. Yeah. It flies by pretty quickly. One of the longest, because usually they only go up between an hour, like maybe 85 minutes. So mm-hmm. almost, not, almost at 90 minutes is probably the longest film. I think so that's rat. The rats are coming is probably the longest of this period. Oh, okay, it's Not roughly. I mean, this is roughly around the same time, but it doesn't feel as long as the rats no. are coming. Oh, for you, it doesn't feel as long. Well, because like I explained last episode, it actually uses the language of cinema. It actually uh, has something right. visually interesting going on right, in it. Right, right, right. <laughs> so this is a far more enjoyable film. Now. The film, the climax, which happens in the last 10 minutes of the movie, as we said, is this big feast with a bunch more blue cake makeup people and a and a lens baby effect on it. So it obscures most of what you're seeing to just a pinpoint in the middle of the, the frame. So you can't really tell what's going on half of the time. And they're just bickering about whether or not they're going to leave London and go to America. They fight with torches suddenly outside and you can't tell a single goddamn thing that happens. They decide they're going to kill Susan and Paul. Yep. They fight with torches and we go cut to a scene where Susan's dead in the foyer of this house with Paul. 
She wakes up, bites him. He comes back to life. Yep. And I guess the vampires <laughs> left them there and they now owned this house. Yeah. Yep. Like the, the whole end just like completely is rushed through. It doesn't make any sense. What did you think of the end of this, Evan? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not really clear what, like you said, what happens the night before. I just assume they got on that boat. They chartered a boat for America. They're gone. And then there's this stinger at the end. We now own all of this. Yes. <laughs> and then that's it. I don't, know. I don't care. Yeah, she, she pulls the pencil, the number two pencil that was stuck in her chest. <laughs> And she's back to life at the end of this Vaughn, yeah. the body beneath. This is one of your top movies of Milligan. Oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely in the top five because I, I don't know. I, I like I said, it's it's the acting. The film's actually shot well, and I'm I'm actually rewatching the last like ten minutes of the film just to kind of remind me how weird it is. But I I like that whole kind of weird kind of like the the costumes definitely change at this point. They definitely look like oh. I'm going to make these right now. Well, I, well, I give me a sewing machine. I'll just put this together. Whatever crap we have around because the reverence a costume it looks like they took a, a rug from the floor and just cut it into his hat. You know, <laughs> it almost looks like something from guru, the mad monk. <laughs> yeah. But I like the fact that like, it's like a guy throwing a, a screaming fire in a, in a loaded building. You know what I mean? It's just like, Oh, we got to get out of here fast. So let's just get done with this. I did like the music is the music actually works for this film. It well, it's a little feel, understated. It's not as in your face as the rest of the it stuff. It doesn't feel, yeah, it doesn't feel out of place. Like he's playing, he's got people on fire and he's playing like Roompa Roompa music. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? With this <laughs> film, it feels like, all right, you know, all the music actually works in the where it's supposed to, where it's placed. And yeah, the fact that she like comes back to life, she pulls the nail out of her, out of her chest. And it's just like, oh, okay. So I guess we're, uh, we own this place now. All right. Cool. Yeah. Like, I guess we're ending this movie now. And they deliberately that's what it felt like her, to me. <laughs> with her, they deliberately have her pull her hair away to show the marks on her neck, which I think is pretty ingenious. It's like, oh, because if you don't if you don't understand that she's a vampire by now, there's two big fucking puncture holes in her neck. <laughs> well, that's one of the things in the movie itself is that none of the vampires have pointed teeth, the traditional pointed teeth. That's one of the the many breaks from the lore that this movie does, along with the fact that all these vampires can go out in sunlight. It may tap them of their energy, but they're still allowed to go out in yeah, sunlight. It depletes them, yeah, but doesn't. But the other thing, but if you like, we'll know in the next film. Werewolves don't do the same thing they're supposed to do either, but we'll get there. We thought we were already talking <laughs> about that, but yeah. What'd you guys think of the leeching scene? That was an interesting <laughs> sequence. <laughs> the, what uh, do you think of it? Re so Reverend Algernon, you know, he's he's trying to get things going, run run this uh, this big move, and yeah, he has to go out in the light once in a while, and it pumps him up. I don't know. He's got high blood pressure, so he's so he's got all of his servants placing these things that look like wet band aids on him. And yeah. uh, he's he's just like add, add more leeches. The the blood pressure is too high still. Half the movie, <laughs> the Reverend literally is just laying in a bed. Yeah, and transfusion with no shirt on. But it's not it's not like a, he's not a buff guy with no shirt on. No, yeah. like I said, he's like Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah, Milligan tries to make him look tough. You know, like Susan. She's like, I'm getting out of here. And he just like grabs her wrist and she's like, oh, and it just collapses under his hand grab. The one thing I like, but the, the, what, what Gavin Reed does pull off with the film, he even though, yes, he's kind of a, you know, a doughy individual. He does pull off this kind of strong, you know, a matriarch of the family. You know what I mean? He's the only Ma one. Matriarch's a good word. 
Yeah. He seems to be the only one in the family who's willing to do anything to kind of help the family along. You know, even if that means he has to go out in the in the in the world and, you know, go and retrieve things. Everybody else seems to be locked in the house. And that's either because of his own design, because he's like, all right, you can't leave. Or it just they don't feel like they just don't leave the house. You know, except for the brides. Well, they kind of roam around the whole like countryside that's in around that home. They felt felt more spectral than they felt like corporal beings. Like they didn't seem like they were real whatsoever. They were more spirits. What are they supposed to be? Uh, Dead vampire ghosts? I don't know. Like, just put blue paint on them, put them on dresses, get them out of here. I don't care. Well, that's another big thing in this movie. There's really no special effects in this movie whatsoever. There's very little gore yeah. at all. No, was there a hand? Was there a hand decapitation in this? Nope, no, I don't believe so. I know in blood we have a double there, hand there decapitation. Where, if I remember correctly, where the when the uh, the maid lets in Paul, you know, to find his uh, fiance. Mm-hmm. When they find out that she was the one who let him in, they stab her in the eyes with knitting needles and they drag her body and spool drags the body off with the knitting needles. It looks like cotton balls where her eyes are supposed to be, um, <laughs> but there's two big needles sticking out of her eyes. So that's a that's a that's a new way of death for him. Usually it's just all right, I'm going to cut off your hand and the Quasimodo is going to fuck your face. All right, let's go. This comes up more in the next one. But just to as a preview, there's something that Andy doesn't know how to do. Um, what's that that's maybe an understatement but when he has any kind of technical edit that he needs to make to show some kind of action so when paul is in the foyer or whatever and uh, the reverend comes up to move the candle and he notices in the mirrored surface of his cigarette box that there's no reflection yeah the the editing of that sequence is so clunky fucking horrible (laughs) it's hard to even know what just happened It's uh-huh. so, it's like too quick or something like that, and I and I noticed that like three or four times in the next movie that we'll talk. Well, about. he never, at least up until this point, it's clear he doesn't know how to stage an effects sequence no. at all. I mean, every single time we go into what is supposed to be kind of like a horror gore sequence, it cuts away so quickly and it's yes. so slapdashedly thrown together. It's, which is also what the climax of this movie feels like too. It yeah. just feels like it's three separate scenes. He didn't know what the binding glue between those three scenes were, and he just threw them together. Or he didn't. Or he didn't and sh- shoot it like it was just something when he started editing the film and he was like oh fuck I need something but I'm already too late like yeah. everybody's already gone home I can't get the back fuck I just I just throw it together which is what and, bloodthirsty butchers feels like well, for the vast majority the whole of damn film feels like that like the, the only thing that feels like it was like, like he had a concept was that first five minutes with the Sweeney Todd in the barber scene where he's like alright I did this and he probably showed people and they were like oh that's cool that's nice let's try something and then they ran with it. Like there was a scene I just saw where it's the uh, the three brides ha- come to the woman's house and they chloroform her. Which in the one one the one who's got the chloroform and, and the and the uh, the swath, she's holding over her head. She got a big smile on her head. Like hi, we're gonna chloroform you now. Like and she just comes up and fucking gets her in the face. And I'm like, oh, that's just wonderful. <laughs> that's I think it's just one of those things where he knew he was a playwright. He knew the yeah. stage. He didn't necessarily know what it took to tell a story visually in film. So he obviously most of his movies are people talking. Yeah. And he knows what to do there. But when it comes to effect shots and how to do continuity between those shots, 
It just it doesn't work whatsoever, which is why the beginning of this, that first opening sex sequence where we're getting all of these crazy over the head shots and dolly moves and all this stuff is is so uncharacteristic of him that I was kind of slack jawed at this and expected all of a sudden, man, we finally got a real movie here for the first time. So so listeners, what we're trying to tell you is that if you have an idea for a film, just go and do it. Watch a couple of you've been watching these films with us and you realize, hey, this fucking maniac made films. Go out and make one and then sell it to every idiot like us who buy films like this. All the time. <laughs> well, there are far worse indie movies oh, yes. than The Body Beneath there, oh. that are being made right now. I mean, yeah. if, if the worst thing about this movie that can be said other than, you know, there's a good portion of the runtime that not a hell of a lot happens is that maybe some of the effects sequences weren't as sophisticated as some other ones. There's, I mean, that's not that big of a dig on this. (laughs) No, it's still a pretty damn fun movie. Like I said, top five for me, flesh pot and Nightbirds. When we get to them, they're definitely in the top five for me. You know, I'm already giving away my fucking hand. This is a fun film. So Evan, where do you place this one so far? Did you like this one? Yeah, I like this. These are relative ratings. I mean, I've been we've been through some such shit that this feels <laughs> like a good movie. You know, I'm not sure before this project where I'd place this if I if I was just randomly to come across this movie, I'm not even sure I'd leave it on. But because, <laughs> because we're doing, did you hear that, Vaughn? Did you I, hear that? Yeah, Vaughn? because we're involved in academia. <laughs> This takes on a different tone. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was good. I, I just love the fact that you can just notice so clearly him getting better and starting to care about what he's doing. And the funny thing is, how many movies did it take to get here? I wonder, I have to ask as just a, a general question, because up to this point, I mean, we've watched a bunch of his movies, but we have to acknowledge that we just will never see a lot of his movies because they've all been lost how much of those movies that are lost actually showcase more of the progression than the cheapy horror stuff that he was relegated to because this is what sold. Right. Because these horror movies, obviously, and when, when we do the next episode, which, you know, we keep talking about Nightbirds and Fleshpot, it's clear where his passion is. And it's not in these movies, which... I think can account for why some of these are so slapdash and just thrown together because his passion is more in kind of like human interest stuff, more like real people kind of drama than this ridiculousness that he kind of could sell. That's why the the effects work doesn't work. It doesn't, it just, it's just putting a movie together. It explains why there's such pathos put into his quasimodos. Like he's rapping. (laughs) He's wrapping up this the this drama in this really uh, exploitation, you know, shitty rapping that can play at the on Forty Second Street, just because he needs to get a paycheck. But you can tell he wants to do something more. So yeah, well, every single one of his films that aren't the horror films are infinitely better than the horror films. Yeah. Next episode. We'll absolutely be able to declare that. Which also explains why he's just using vampires and werewolves and not coming up with anything else. No. Like he isn't even like, he's not even responding to uh, George Romero. 
which he's not even repackaging any of this. He's I mean, the place where they're staying is called Carfax Abbey. He lifts direct lines from Todd Browning's Dracula. I mean, there's so much of these movies. I mean, it wasn't. Is this the one or I think it might have been the next one, Blood, where he actually starts developing his own world within his own world where they make reference to Mortavia again. Yes, he's got a universe now. Yep. You can see it on a, a, a shipping box too, Mortavia. But one of the characters, fa- the, the character's father has uh, suffered a violent death in Mortavia. That's the background of yeah. the next movie. But yeah, I thought that was interesting that he was establishing some kind of like cinematic new- universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is it, the AMCU? so having said that uh we all here dig this one this is obviously for me one of the better movies in uh andy milligan's filmography i would definitely put it up there in at least the top five at least the top five this is one of them where what about you evan so of, of what i've seen so far which like i said i'm watching them as we go so i haven't seen the other the ones we're gonna watch next time i would put it I kind of would put it a little bit below seeds because seeds is just too punk rock for me not to put way up there. And, um, but even below vapors, even though vapors is just a short, you know, vapors is like you said, showcasing his interest in human drama. So I'd put it below those two and above all the rest of them so far. Awesome. I, I couldn't agree more. I, even though I've seen more of his, his work and, you know, this may bump down a little bit with subsequent films we're going to talk about. This is definitely one of the top ones for me. So let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a Dracula versus werewolf pissing match in 1973's <laughs> Blood. So stick around. that parents explain to me well i let my teenager listen to rock music because that's all he'll listen to let me tell you so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide get it out of your house throw it out and burn it it has no place in the house of the righteous this is the goat
from the album Bite Down Hard. That is Brittany Fox with our guest this week on Guitars and Vocals, the one and only Tommy Paris. That was louder. This is a very cool interview for me. I've been a fan of Tommy since 91. That was the year Bite Down Hard was released. And I'm at the end of the day an 80s rock guy. And just through a Twitter interaction, Tommy agreed to sit down for a stem to stern interview with the GOAT about everything. I know that preparing to go sing for the first time uh, with them, the very first time, I, I, was, I was working on the songs and singing so hard I like ripped part of my throat and I was coughing up blood and stuff. And I was, I was just killing myself to make sure that when I showed up to sing that stuff, cause that's what it takes to sing that stuff, um, that I was going to do the best job I could possibly do on it. That was all I had in my mind. I didn't, I wasn't sure how they were going to hear it, but that's what I had in my mind. I was going to, I was going to do whatever it took, bodily harm included. Just nail the stuff best somebody could who who didn't write it or sing it, you know, initially. And so that's where my head was. I was like, I was just out to do the best absolute job. Same with the songwriting, same thing. Just I had nothing else in mind except what's the best stuff I can write. And they're, the way those guys write, you know, they write really melody-friendly stuff. So it was, I, I had, I just the first second I would hear a piece of their music, it was, I could already hear melodies like right out of the gate. So that made it easy. That that definitely made it easy. But but at no time did I think, oh, I got this in the bag. Never, not once. In fact, fast forward, we're out in L.A. recording Bite Down Hard, right, with the, uh, the engineers who had done uh, No More Tears, Dwayne Barron and John Perdell. They produced all these No More Tears. So we're there at Devonshire and at One on One where Metallica recorded the the, the Black Album. We're at all these places. We're, we're, we're all done now. They're going to mix the album. And then I go back east to live for a while. And until it was in the stores, I still didn't think it was going to come out. I didn't. I was like, it was just unreal. It was just like, when I see that it's sitting in a store, then I'll realize, okay, this is actually happening. What was the writing process like on Bite Down Hard? Did everyone come in with demos or partially written song ideas? They probably each had at least seven tunes right then. They wrote a ton more later or had more that I that they, they didn't give to me at that time, but I think each of them gave me about seven tunes. And and so, some of those ended up on the record. A couple of those did. Um, and then, of course, we kept, once I joined, we moved to CIL City, and we wrote for like six months during the winter down there and came up with a bunch more stuff. But, yeah, I think I think about seven. Each, each guy, so they're about 14 songs to mess around with. Oh, my God. 
Our guest this week on The Goat, Tommy Paris and Brittany Fox from Bite Down Hard. That's closer to your love. And if you want to hear uh, the complete show with Tommy Paris, uh, just go on over and uh, find us. We're everywhere. Any place you find Astro Radio Z, you will find the goat and uh, you can hear the entire interview uh, right there but let's leave you with one more uh, from Brittany Fox uh, before we send it back to Derek and Astro Radio Z can't do a Brittany Fox show without this one girls school
So see you later. Good night. You are listening to Astro Radio Z. Call your local cable company to order your WCW merchandise. A purview. Somebody get the gun. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. One, two, three. All right, folks. This is That Wrestling Gimmick on the Astro Radio Z Network. I'm your host, Dustin Bache, and today I have Eric Woodard on the show, a man of many gimmicks, a true road dog with over 18 years in the business. Let's talk about uh, how has the business as a whole changed since since you broke in? It's kind of mixed nuts for me, man. It's, it's changed for the better in some way, on the indie level, and, and for the worse in other ways. Um, so we're, but, we're talking, you got in, well, what well, well, kind of the tail end of like Attitude Era, so all that like racy shit was kind of going on. And, right, right. And then you kind of had the lull in the mid-late 2000s, was that kind of happening there towards like that, uh, we call it like the Ruthless Aggression Era, was, could you, did you feel all them kind of humps and valleys as you went uh, in the independent circuit? Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, but back then, coming out of that big wrestling boom in like the late 90s, there were so many people calling themselves a wrestler. And, and you know, it's true today, but, but I, think the, I think the quality of some of the independent wrestling in, in some areas that I've witnessed has gotten a little better. Um, but I think coming out of that wrestling boom out of the 90s, because wrestling was so popular, it was everywhere. It was on every TV show you could you could watch on primetime. Sitcoms would have, you know, the rock guest star. Or they, like, you just couldn't get away from wrestling. So pretty much anybody that had ever been anywhere in wrestling, if they were a mid-card guy in the smallest territory, in the smallest town, in the smallest, in the dustiest corner of America, they would open up a school. Well, people would line up, oh, I'm going to be a wrestler. I'm going to be the next Stone Cold. I'm going to be the next this. They would show up. Um, but the problem was with these pop-up schools everywhere, and, them, and those guys that were open and you know, were legit. They were workers from somewhere. But the problem was people would show up to these like free tryouts, and they would learn how to bump, and they'd learn how to lock up, and they might learn to take an arm break. That's all they learned. They never developed as a worker. And but they wouldn't want to pay two to three thousand dollars to go to that wrestling school. So then they would do you know open up their own pit come tax time. And then they would try to train people that arm drag and lock up and the bumps they learned at their free tryout. Um, so there was a lot of these wrestlers like popping up that never developed as a worker, um, never really learned psychology, never really learned. And that, that was there was a lot of that in the early 2000s. Kind of glorified backyard wrestling type. Right. Shit. No, for sure. A lot of hit stars like backyarders that, that would end up, you know, renting out here. You know what I mean? That's that only thing. Um, I know that still happens now. But I think to a lesser degree, I think um, there's the there's a greater proliferation of, of of workers that have been somewhere that are offering at least like weekend seminars. Independents are bringing them in. Yeah, that's great. It seems like as the legends start to age, it's like they're deciding that they want to give back a little bit. Right. You know? Well, and I think in some, you know. Some of them, uh, I think, are driven to give back. Some of them just want to keep the lights on. That's okay too. Right. I think you've dedicated your life to a trade, and you can you can earn a 
you know, a few bucks passing on that knowledge, I, I think you should be able to, to eat on that. There's been so many lulls. It seems like just now within the last few years, it's starting to have new life breathed into it. Right. I, I think so. And I, um, you know, if there's a, a guy, you know, sometimes a legend or sometimes it's a guy that, you know, that's a top, uh, top indie name, you know, that's an ROH guy or whatever. He comes to, you know, comes to town, earns a few extra bucks, you know, performing for an independent company, earns a few extra bucks uh, running a seminar for that day, you know, good for them, put some money in their pocket. Um, but I, I think I think it's increased the quality of a lot of, at least at least for the people that care enough about their, their, their work and care enough about the business to, to learn and strive to get better. I think these seminars have, have been good. And, people and, that are that seem to be taking it seriously again, right, right. And I think that more is the younger people that are taking advantage of that are being honest about their experience when they're trying to get booked. You know, don't don't tell me you were, you know, like, well, who were you trained by? Well, I was trained by you know whatever Jimmy Jacobs or whatever. Well, don't tell me you were trained by him. If, if you know, tell me you took a seminar by him if you were there for two days or a day. You know what I mean? Right. Be honest about your level of experience. So you're not put in there with somebody and, and risking their life or risking their exactly. I mean, you're talking, okay, man. If you don't have experience, we're going to be doing things where one of us could fucking drastically hurt the other. Right, for sure. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's not very a joke. important to be honest. Yeah, it's not a fucking joke. Well, there was a guy here a few years. I mean, this was way back. I mean, we're talking. I say way back, but um, 2000, probably five or six. I remember there was a kid that showed up. Their show, uh, MWA, was running there in, in Omaha. And he told everybody he was trained by Harley Race, you know, and this and that, a worker. And people don't realize how small the business is. I mean, literally, right. somebody can call somebody to call somebody. I mean, and find out the, the dirt off somebody in a minute. Instantly. You know? But this guy's in the back, you know, something funny about the guy that he was going to be in a tag match. The guys that were in there, including the guy that he was paired with to partner with, who was a worker, you know, they were all kind of looked at each other like, this guy's not one of us. You know what I mean? Like, right. you can just tell. You kind of um, smell it out. So, so we, they go out there. The guy couldn't walk up right. He couldn't do anything right. Well, it ended up being a rough night for him. You know, I mean, he got he got banged up a little bit. But, I mean, to me, he had that coming. You know, I mean, he didn't get any bones broken or anything. But, yeah, he got, he got his bell rung pretty good. You know, when you misrepresent yourself, I mean, you're literally taking somebody's life and in your own hands and you don't know what you're doing i mean that's, okay that's well if you tell me you're going to be able to take care of me then you know you better be able to do it and don't lie about it right absolutely have you had any uh experience working with legends uh can you name any names and can you give us any uh anything that they told you any insights anything like that um i've worked with a few a few folks over the years uh you know names them on the way up and on the way down uh you know, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from some of them. I've got some corrections from some of them over the years. Uh, one of my early matches, I was in the ring with uh, with Butch Reed, and I really, I, 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 I kind of fucked up. I, I tatered the shit out of him. I kind of <laughs> his elbow. Uh oh, you and, tatered uh, Butch Reed. Re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, I, had a, I knew I had a receipt coming, man, and he, he bumped me, and he's picking me up off the mat, and I just knew he was going to like lead me across the bridge of my nose or something. I mean, I, I was squared up. I was ready to take it, and uh, but the receipt never came. He was such a professional. He was so smooth, uh, and 
to, to this day, I mean, I think I think Bush Reed might be the smoothest guy I've ever been in the ring with top, you know, top three. I mean, that guy was such a total pro. Once we were in the ring and the, the you know the bell rang and then the the, the match was underway. Um, I mean, honestly, like I did have a receipt coming because I, <laughs> I fucked up, but. <laughs> But, he, but I guess, he gave you the grace. Uh, yeah, he yeah, had to sure. have been just strong as an ox, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was. He was dead. I don't know how old he was at the time. I mean, he been, I mean, I mean, he was definitely, you know, past the prime of his career, um, but still just in really, really great shape. That guy was jacked, you know, for, you know, I don't even say for his age. I mean, just in general, that guy was still jacked. And uh, as smooth as butter. But, yeah, I've, I've tied up with a few guys. Uh, Shark Boy, I had a good time with him. Uh, Gangrel. Oh, David Heath. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, I worked with him in a tournament in Omaha, or Council Bluffs, uh, Carter Lake, that area, um, several years ago. And that was right after my ACL injury that I didn't repair. I was limping around and still working. And uh, he he led me to a pretty decent match because I, I wasn't I wasn't worth a shit at the time. Like I said, I was I was working on one leg, um, just kind of trying to hold on to the dream a little bit rather than get it fixed and take some time off and do it the right way. I was trying to hold on to something that wasn't, wasn't even there at the time, you know. So yep. I was very grateful to be in there with a pro like him. He said he carried me to a, to a decent match. And, um, uh, I follow him on Facebook. I, I he seems like he would be a very insightful, very thoughtful dude. Uh, he seemed to be so. I don't know him very well personally. I mean, honestly, I mean, that was right. You just back tied up with him. 2008 or nine, and that's the only time I'd ever worked him. But, but yeah, he did. He seemed, he he definitely carried himself in a way that I mean, he's a, he's a locker room leader. He's a guy that knows his shit for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so have you gained any insights uh, with your time in the business? Uh, is there anything that you learned about life uh, with your time doing wrestling? Uh, most importantly, everything is a shoot and everything is a work. Absolutely. That's the number one lesson <laughs> you can take from wrestling. Everything is a shoot and everything is a work. If you keep that in mind when you turn on the news or when you're watching television or, you know, or you're watching that, it, it, it applies to everything. Every, absolutely. Yeah, uh, don't absolutely don't believe everything you hear. That's that's very insightful, sir. Uh, so, what would you tell somebody uh, just breaking into the business? Oh, well, tuck your chin and pay your dues. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, it just uh, you know, get on the road, do it, do it. Don't have it. You know, I mean, if you if you love it, you believe in yourself, get on the road and do it. Excellent, man. Uh, could you elaborate on being a dad in professional wrestling? How did that go for you? Um, I was very, very fortunate back when I was, you know, like I said, I was super, super busy back in the mid 2000s. And, and, um, at that time I was recently divorced. Actually about the time I started getting busy, I was divorced. Um, but I had custody of my two kids during the week. So I would find myself, you know, having my kids during the week and then they'd go to their moms on the weekend and I'd go wrestle. So it, it, it worked out well in that regard, schedule wise. It made, you know, those five days you're at home, that, that Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday kind of gimmick challenging. You know, you had to sometimes uh, be creative with with your your income and, and the, the hours you could work, you know, trying to balance their needs with, you know, being at work and making money. And, and so I learned, I learned to um, find jobs that I can make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time possible. Right. So I did a lot of things, you know, you know, I bounced at bars half and arm for the last 20 years. But I'm also, you know, back in those days, I was delivering pizza during like the 
the lunch rush, man. I'd hit the kids in school, man. I'd, I'd, I'd deliver like 11 to 1 and try to make me a quick 120 bucks or so. Just, you know, running around town as quick as I could and get as many deliveries as I could so I could pay the bills. And uh, then on the weekend, man, is uh, playtime. So. Just trying to balance the daily hustle with being able to go on the road doing what you love. You have thoughts and dreams, but acting on them and make them making that a reality are two totally different things. Sometimes it's hard. Right, but but it's but it's definitely possible, especially in this world, man. We, um, like I said, I don't I don't work a regular job now. I just uh, you know, and let's count BJ in two nights a week. On you know, I'm probably you know, like I said on two weeknights. But it pays so off. I do that the rest of the time, man. It's just you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. I'm trying to sell T-shirts. Um, luckily, we've 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 sold um, T-shirts around the world. You know, um, and, and and I've got to again thank you know. The Blake Braxton uh, following, you know, that he's built over the years doing the podcast and stuff. That, you know, that's definitely helped me a lot. So we're selling T-shirts in the markets that I haven't necessarily always uh, appeared before live. I haven't wrestled in front of, but they like the gimmick and they like following the the lore that surrounds this gimmick that we, you know, this world that we've created for ourselves. It's excellent. Uh, and can you, uh, could you give us a plug of where we can find a t-shirt? You know what? Um, you follow, uh, Mr. Fitness 2 and or Midnight Rose on Facebook is, is the best place to do that right now. Mr. Fitness 2 or Midnight Rose. We've actually got some new designs that are coming out, um, here. Hopefully, hopefully I'll have available in the next week. I'm running a little behind. I, I was planning on getting them out at the end of January, but we ran a little behind. We've actually got new design that will be available here in the in the coming days. So I'm, I've been working hard on that as well. Cool, man, and we'll be waiting for those. Thanks very much, Eric, for taking the time to be in on the uh, the pilot episode, uh, the first the first episode of that wrestling gimmick. Uh, I really appreciate your time, my friend. Oh no, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Anytime you need me, give me a shout. Uh, real real quick, I would also want to throw out there. Uh, make sure you see um, actually myself as myself and also Mr. Fitness 2, Midnight Rose and Blake Braxton. Uh, we'll make some uh, appearances in the upcoming film, Shakespeare's uh, Shitstorm by Trauma. That's going to be coming out this year. Uh, I don't have the date on that, but keep your eyes open for that. It's going to be fantastically disgusting and great all at the same time. Um, uh, band projects, check out... Um, Purgatory Heights. I've actually got a new band that we're going to start gigging uh, this spring as well. Um, so, so be looking out for that. Mr. Fitness Two guys like the page. Uh, hit us up. Shoot me a message. I'll shoot you a T-shirt. All that good stuff. And uh, once again, thanks for having me. But I appreciate it. Excellent, dude. Uh, yeah, I would love to. Next time you guys are in town, I'd love to have you in the studio. And let's just uh, let's shoot the shit. Let's watch some Star Wars. Uh, and let's just hang out, play some guitar, man. Hey, that sounds good, man. Maybe we could. Uh, Try to prank call the president or something. <laughs> Excellent, man. Thanks for being on that wrestling gimmick. All right, thanks, Carl. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Because that's what we want. We want rematches because this time, when we play the tune, it'll be loud and clear. Mr. Markham, please go. I have a great deal of work to do and you're wasting my valuable time. I feel very tired from a long journey and extremely inhospitable. Good day. You rude bastard. Johnny! <gasps>
told you. Look at me. Oh, Carlotta. You have no reflection. You didn't know, did you, that my father was Count Dracula? So, um... A werewolf from the 1930s in London teams up with Dracula's daughter. They get married, actually, and decide to move into a London flat and conduct experiments to elongate their lives. In 1973's Blood by Mr. Andy Milligan, this movie was actually shot in Staten Island, even though it attempts to act like it's still in London. Uh, At this point, Andy Milligan had left London, his producer, the money had dried up and he had been in tons of fights with them. And he basically got his ass kicked out and he had to go licking his wounds, crawling back to New York into the same neighborhood that, you know, he had made a lot of his other movies. And this movie actually, I believe, was shot in his house where he was living at the time. And again, we have vampires but this time we toss in a werewolf scientist (laughs) so the werewolf scientist the wolfman scientist is married to dracula's daughter and we find out that the wolfman's lineage is that he is the son of lawrence talbot the wolfman from the original universal (laughs) horror films so again fast and loose with just deciding you know what Nobody's going to catch me. I'm just going to steal whatever the fuck I want to steal. Andy Miller. Oh, yeah. These are, it all. Remember, these are Z grade films. So it's like no one's re- no fucking people from the higher ups in like Universal are going, hey, let's check what this, uh, this wacky gay guy from New York's putting together. No, there wasn't a lot of like people checking on shit like it was nowadays. I think the best description of this movie I found on a website called Dominion of Scum. They said <laughs> that this movie was Blood Feast meets Downton Abbey. and i i tend to agree with it uh i mean we have the dr wolfman orlovsky who's afflicted with lycanthropy from his father lawrence talbot as i had said before and he maintains a garden filled with man-eating plants and settles down to play house with his daughter with the daughter of dracula who is the hands down most whiny bitchy character you're gonna find in just about any Milligan movie, which is saying a lot. Yeah, Evan, what did you think of the daughter of Dracula in this movie? Well, I actually I didn't know that she was until the end. When when uh, th- that seems like a reveal to me. Towards wait, the hold end. on, hold on. When when he first buys that house and he moves in, and the, yeah. the whole horde of people bring in the person with the bag over the face. I didn't know what that bag was. Off face. Did you not realize that was his wife? Like, yes, I did. Up? Son, like where, where they take the bag off, and she basically looks like uh, a like a paper mache like play doh <laughs> vampire. That was I a great know. effect. I, I, awesome. yeah, I guess I, I guess I did. I knew that she was a vampire. I didn't sorry, realize. Oh, at I'm the sorry, end, really. they, her, her father was Dracula. He, was as we said before, he's playing fast and loose with whatever he can steal with this movie, and mm-hmm. the, this one instead of the last one is. What are the two monster movies that he's used before in the past? It's vampires and werewolves. Well, let's make them to be a married couple. And as Vaughn had said, the Dr. Wolfman, he's a complete asshole. Oh, my God. And rents this flat. 
pushes the landlord out once he rents the flat. And in the back door, we know that these are monsters because as soon as he opens the door, a bunch of fog yep. enters in during <laughs> the day. Obviously, no fog outside. I love that. <laughs> and they all come in, all these people, just all these random people that oh, in the crazy. grand scheme of things mean they all, they're all carrying they're all carrying like they're all carrying like paper bags and plastic bags full of crap, and they're like dragging this half dead mummified body in with them. It's like <laughs> And clearly, like, they're still in the sunlight and they're like, take it off, take it off, we gotta fix this. And they take it off and you get this meat popsicle of a... Uh, like, what the fuck is going on here? And- <laughs> it is one of the worst looking vampires. It reminds me of Howling New Moon Rising when we get the Wolfman reveal and it's just some fucking goodwill mask of a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, but the, the one thing I like about it, though is that he's actually trying. Unlike the other ones with the vampires where he blatantly hides it. And the werewolves were the only time you actually had a werewolf was in werewolves are coming where it's at the very last minute. And it's all just because it's a woman. It looks like she has a beard on. It's just like, oh, OK, this at least he's like, all right, let's try something crazy. You know, can anybody get me like 12 pounds of raw meat and two fake eyeballs? And can, <laughs> I, can I steal your dentures and we just jam them in there? You know? we, we say this, but again, the wolfman only shows up in two scenes very yeah. briefly. Yeah, yeah, that's another example of what I was talking about before about these really bad action edits. Mm-hmm. So you don't even know what just happened. Just about yeah, um, you can tell, you can tell, but you can tell in these film, these two films, and he's trying something like not different because these are just the same tropes he does all the fucking time. Like with this film, he took what he got, he learned from being in England, and tried to bring it here with just with no money. Zero you know money, I mean? which explains why this movie like, only has a runtime of like, like an hour and nine minutes. Yeah. yeah, it's a quick one. But you can definitely tell that he's he whatever he learned in 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 London and England, he took back here, and then he just couldn't get the money to make the films like he was getting there because he's such a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> and people are like, yeah, we'll give you money to make something, but we need it done like this, and we need vampires, and we need werewolves in it. Perfect. I'll make a weird fucking drama about a, a vampire being married, married to a werewolf, and you guys ain't gonna watch it until it's put on screens. Who gives a shit? Well, they you know? sold it well. The poster's nice, and I mean, they definitely have, as you said, the exploitation angles yep. that they needed to. But as always, the vast majority of this film is a drama of people bickering about horrible relationships. The-, the first time, the, the two people who are the main characters in the film, the vampire and the dra- and the friend and the werewolf, are total jerk offs. But they're meant to be together because they're both total jerk offs. It's like, come on. He was a great he- actor, though. Yeah, he's fun. He's a fun actor, but she's bitchy as hell, and he's a big dickhead. Like he's constantly just like, even with like we said, the landlord. As soon as he buys the place, rents the place, he kicks him right out. Doesn't even let him continue talking. Like he's he's mid sentence. He's like, get the fuck, get out. Like he's just kicking him out. And the guy is so uptight and so like up his own ass. And his you know his wife is so needy and like bitchy that you're like, oh, they're they're meant to be together. Perfect. Like they could be together forever because they're going to be forever because she's a vampire and he's a werewolf. But he still looks elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's right. constantly got to be cheating <laughs> on each other in these Andy Milligan movies. Everyone's fucking everyone, just like Bloodthirsty Butchers. Everyone's fucking everyone in this movie. He has an assistant who helps him in his experiments. Again, like the rats are coming, the werewolves are here. We have a werewolf that has to conduct experiments 
to cure not only himself, but to elongate the life of oh. his his vampire bride. This is great, though. I love this angle. This is where I really liked how batshit this movie was. They have like these plants down in the basement that sound they they're constantly moving and growing, and they sound like somebody making an a balloon animal, you know, it's like balloons <laughs> rubbing against each other. And uh, you have to feed these plants blood. Yeah. So that's one of the help uh, in the house, Carlotta, they just keep draining her of blood and they say, you can't drain blood from the brain too often before you start showing signs. So she is an absolute ghoul. Well, she's basically and, the Quasimodo character in this. Yeah, movie. basically. Yeah. She's, and she's got a little makeup on and she's interesting that she can even take orders, but, uh, but yeah, they, these plants eat eat blood, and if you touch them, they give you like gangrene. I yeah. mean, it is awful what it does. So, so you see a little of the history because one of the helps' name is Orlando, and he's just shuffling around at knee height. Yeah, really the entire funny. movie. Which for yeah. the first like half of the movie, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Is he on a wheelchair? They never show it. You never know what the fuck's wrong with this guy. Right. Yeah. He's supposed to, he's supposed to be a little person, right? Am I? No, am no, I, no. His legs. Just like his his assistant, who is basically the lead of this movie, opposite Wolfman scientist, she has a bum leg because of the plant had had you know infected her. So he actually has almost no legs. Yeah, he's He's kind of like a dude in Freaks that has to walk around on his hands. Yeah, it's really funny. uh, Just because of all the shots, the framing, he's in the his head's at the bottom, like waist height. And I think Milligan really did a good job with these uh, helpers here because you have Orlando, and that's kind of funny. And I can't imagine that he wasn't kind of laughing at that while he was making it. And Carrie, his assistant, she's dressed up like a porcelain doll. Or I also thought she she reminded me of Glinda the Good Witch. That's and- a good analogy. I never even thought about it like that because Dracula's daughter is kind of like the Wicked Witch, and she's the Good Witch. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's painted like white her face is all uh, powder white and she's got these curls on both sides of her head just like a just like a porcelain doll yeah and the way that she talks just reminded me of of glinda and then of course there's carlotta the ghoul mm-hmm. and these are these are the people that are helping him with his experiments but i just loved that whole man-eating plant angle it's yeah. so cockamamie it comes out of nowhere in the the sequences that actually have it in there are so random in a very random movie. The stuff that happens in this movie just happens out of nowhere all no, the time. Yeah. Like it, it feels like he's gone back to the same thing where he's just writing things on napkins and making ideas and stuff like that. And it's like I think the only thing that maybe he had an idea was the plants. Everything else seems to be like, all right, we're just gonna put this character in here. Put this character in here. No, you don't think. I just wanted to say another another thing that comes from him mm-hmm. is having Dracula's daughter chop the mouse in half and put half of it in her mouth okay yeah, yeah just yeah, like uh in the rats are coming where there mm-hmm. is a, you know a, a mouse mutilation sequence we have another one in this one yeah, yeah. what the hell is wrong with milligan and he made her put that in her mouth you can tell it's like yeah. when <laughs> well obviously he was not living in a very nice place because right behind the mouse was a bunch of cockroaches walking around on the fucking countertop yeah. uh-huh <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I just I think that's uh, straight from Milligan and probably one of the reasons why nobody wanted to work with him. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. It's it's gross out material. That's what it pretty much is. It's like you're going to show these to like, you know, the 42nd Street crowd. You got to find something that's going to make them like go. Ugh. 
There are a lot of parallels uh, in just the story and some of the details between this and the rats are coming, where we have the werewolf scientist who's trying to find remedies and to help extend the lives of everyone. And uh, the outside world is trying to encroach in on them. Yeah, This movie has multiple side plots that ultimately don't really go much of anywhere. The assistant has a brother that she's in love with where <laughs> have they had sexy time before are we to believe that that had happened at some oh, point the eyes they were given to each other yes it seems Absolutely. like they had something going on yeah he's this is where like i talked about in the body beneath where there's just a sequence in the movie that goes on for 10 minutes that doesn't amount to really anything other than the fact that this character can then be led up to the attic where yep. Dracula's daughter has an acid vat, I guess, in the floor. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> there's that. And then there's a side plot where Wolfman scientist has an executive to or executor to his family's uh, state and, and money, which he's depending on so he can continue his experiments. This executor has the worst eyebrows I've ever seen in a movie bar none they are so bushy they might as well have just like taken a bunch of cotton balls attached them across his forehead and painted them silver and he has this ongoing feud with this executor and his assistant which is this beautiful lady that of course wolfman scientist has got to try and get on her too wolfman scientist is just trying to spread seed all over the place in this movie yeah even though he has no soul He's a horny dude, though. Them wolfmen. You got to watch out for them wolfmen. A lot's going on in this thing. We have him and Miss Prudence meeting out in a graveyard three quarters of the way through this movie. And we see Maggie Rogers again, who was the mom from Seeds. She shows up as the, the cemetery caretaker yeah. and has to tell all this exposition about, you know, wolfman's past as Lawrence Talbot's son and oh you better watch out the moon's coming and blah 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 you gotta get out of here and blah 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 she's the one who ultimately gets both of her hands chopped off so at least we got the hand chopping off happening in this movie we didn't have the Quasimodo we had the hands chopping off but she only lasts of course five minutes five ten minutes in this movie and then she's off then Mr. Eyebrows the executor of Wolfman Scientist's estate shows up, threatens them all, and then we're shown a sequence in which he walks from the house and gets killed oh. supposedly by somebody, but you can't see a goddamn thing because it's filmed at night with no lights, and all you hear is a bunch of growling and this old guy going, whoa, whoa, what is that? Whoa, what is that? It goes on for five fucking minutes. <laughs> the story behind that? That is invisible. <laughs> there's both of these movies have a whole sequence that goes on where you can't tell a goddamn thing that's going on. In it. And I watched the, the HD remaster of this, which both of these movies, if you are going to watch either of these movies, please go get the new Blu-ray remasters of these movies. Cause it helps tremendously with the enjoyment of these movies. They actually look decent. Yeah. That's not to say that blood is as sophisticated looking as the body beneath. There's still a lot of, I'm going to put one huge harsh light 
in the middle of the scene and people are going to walk right into it and all the highlights are going to blow out of these fuckers in this movie. The first movie looked much better than this movie, but this movie is helped like Guru the Mad Monk by its brevity. It goes by very quickly. Yeah. There's enough cockamamie bullshit that happens in it. The the vampires have fake plastic dime store teeth that every kid has when they want to yep. be a vampire. Great. And her hair, her hairline turns into uh, the, 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 uh, what do you call that? The widow's peak. Yep. <laughs> when they're fighting at the end. And so we are to, uh, I guess, understand that they basically die in a fire, right? I mean, they, well, they want to, they want to save the plant because they decide that, okay, they got to move out of there quick. Cause everyone's found them out. They're vampires. They got to get out of there. They got to move to the countryside to make sure that they're not going to die. Someone starts the plant on fire down in the basement. So it doesn't overgrow the entire thing. Uh, Dracula's daughter gets all pissy and they all end up going down in the basement and dying in a fire. Then yeah. who shows up and re-rents the house? <laughs> Baron von Frankenstein. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so much fucking happens in this movie for an hour. This is, for me, one of the most enjoyable of Andy Milligan's movies. It's so yeah. cockamamie. It's so, it, it reminded me a lot of Seeds where it was really shrill in a lot of places. There were a lot of characters that fly in and out of this thing. I had a lot of fun with this one. Vaughn, Blood, what do you think of this thing? Well, this was the first time watched for me. I don't know Interesting. why. What, what yeah, prevented you from watching this cool. before? You just oh, never... I, I just could never find a copy of it. You know, and when we were putting this together, I was like, oh, that's one I've never heard of. I was thinking it's the other one, Legacy of Blood, which is, I think, around the same time. And that's the remake of Ghastly Ones. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking originally. And then when I watched this, when you sent it to me and I watched it, I was like, holy shit, this is not that bad. And it's small. You know, it's a fast film for 67 minutes, 68 minutes, whatever the hell it is. It's like, oh, this is super quick. It's really great. And it just, you know, he jams in so much crap. Like for a film, the first short film, he jams in a lot of stuff and it makes it well worth watching. So it's definitely, it's kind of pushed something out of my top 10. I just don't know what. And this isn't, yeah, this is still a top 10 film because it's fun. It's fun and it moves really fast. And like, you have no respect for any of the characters in the film. You know what I mean? None of them you really like. They're not no, they're like all shit heels. All. But there's something about that, that just like any Andy Milligan film, because most of the time, all the characters are suck. They're terrible people. You really want to watch what happens to them. You want to see them die in a fire at the end of the film. I thought it was a real good time. I'm really surprised the relative obscurity that this movie has been relegated to for so long because this movie was originally distributed in 74 by Bryanston Pictures. And if my listeners are familiar, Bryanston Pictures are the same people that put out Andy Warhol's Frankenstein and, of course, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. And this must have just fallen between the cracks after, you know, its initial theatrical Mm -hmm. run and a brief stint on VHS. Because yeah. I had never seen this back in the day until, you know, this re-came out with the HD masters that have been happening in the last couple of years. Had you ever seen this before, Evan? No. I'm surprised that this one wouldn't be the one that everybody knows because it's so much better than those other ones. Of his horror movies? Yeah. This has almost got to be one of the best ones, if not the best one. I just love the characters in this. I think they're all interesting. Even Mr. Markham, the the real estate guy. He was a great character. (laughs) He was a real piece of like wormy shit in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
I thought he looked kind of like Dr. Jekyll or something. You know, he kind of was like Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> but a lot more weaselly than Ebenezer Scrooge. I like the scene where Markham dies. They they re- they reveal that they've sort of propped him up like a scarecrow in the plant garden and <laughs> all the plants are eating him and they, they within a couple hours he'll be totally consumed. And I thought he looked like Orville from uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally, man. Well, this one, I mean, fans of real cheese ball shit should get into this thing. <laughs> I, I mean, if you're a fan of Astro Radio Z, this is the kind of movie you kind of look for. First time I saw this, I was super surprised by how much I liked this, considering the vast majority of... for Andy in general? Yeah, it, I, this like surprised <laughs> me because it's goofy. It's yeah. super goofy. It still has a lot of you know, unnecessary drama. I feel with the drama in this film, it's completely like, it's nonsensical. Like all the other films, because there's no time in this film where he sits for a long period and babbles on with, like, yes, the the couple in general, Wolfman and, and Dracula, the woman, are clearly like, she just sucks the life out of the room uh, and he's just miserable. But it's like, there's no time in the film like there is in other films where he gives you 10 minutes of people bickering to each other and it's totally nonsensical and it doesn't help anything that's flat. And he has no time at all in this film. He has 67 minutes to get it done. Just get it done. Get, get what I have to get in there and get it out. And that's yep. I, this is the one reason I really like it because it's just like, oh, it's just like a shotgun blast. It's like, all right, and it's done. I almost wish somebody would go through most of these movies of this era and just do a cut down, do an hour long cut down of all these period piece, talky Milligan horror movies. (laughs) It would be perfect because that's what works the most about this. So Evan, at the end of the day, where would you place this thing? Did you end up walking away liking this one? Oh yeah. I mean, I was surprised at this. I think just like you, you know, I was watching this and I, I, I sort of perked up when I saw that Orlando was had his, both of his legs <laughs> chopped off and I was like starting to laugh, you know, I was like, Oh man, this is great. You know, seeing the plants and those weird sound effects. And yeah, this is better than, I think I like this better than uh, body beneath. Definitely. It's just, it's that shit. Well, yeah, it's crazy. got a wolfman. I mean, the whole premise is a goddamn wolfman <laughs> scientist is married to Dracula's daughter, and they have basically a man-eating plant down in their basement. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah. I love it. I kind of love it. This is one of my favorite, bar none, one of my favorite Andy Milligan movies by far. Vaughn, how did you come out on this? Did you end up really digging this one? Yeah, I think I'm going to probably find this on Blu-ray. Like, I had the body beneath on Blu-ray, so... It's definitely going to be put. It's going to be put in the collection at some point. I thought it was fun. The two times I've watched it, like I watched it last night, just kind of transfixed. I was doing other things, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is this." Because you get introduced to the characters quickly when you get introduced to the vampire woman, and she her face is half rotted off, and you're like, "Okay, this is. I know where we're going with this. All right, let's just let's just have fun." And that's what it is. It's just so goofball, and it's just a fun time. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So folks that's it for the night with these two we're going to take a short break when we come back we're going to say goodbye to the vampires and the wolfmen because uh i don't know if we don't ever come back to the period piece talky drama wolfman or monster dramas again with andy milligan so uh i hope you enjoyed 
this period <laughs> in his life because man for the most of it i sure as fuck didn't
You are listening to Astro Radio Z. Bottom shelf life's the top. Uh, ah, shit. Bottom shelf movies for your top shelf lifestyle. That's what it is. The bottom rack. Bottom shelf movies for your top shelf lifestyle. <laughs> Sorry. Y'all lay off of me. I ain't done this in a bit. Anyway, I have watched some movies. And actually, I've watched a movie. I w- and I got to tell you about this movie. If you're... If you have joined us or at least heard me in uh, Trailer Jerks, which is my other little group of podcasting compadres where we sit around and we gripe and moan about movies and stuff. One of the fun things we do is Trailer Jerks, where we just review a movie trailer. And basically, the premise of that is watching that trailer, does that make me want to watch the movie? (laughs) So we did one called Star Slammer. And... I fell in love with that trailer. That trailer had everything that I need in a in a trailer. And I'm not going to go into it because you can listen to trailer jerks for it. But I wanted to give a full-on bottom rack episode of Star Slammer, The Escape. Now, I'm pretty sure you would find this movie on the bottom shelf somewhere. <laughs> I bought the Blu-ray. This movie was that good. I bought the Blu-ray that night during the podcast episode. I will go into Star Slammer. You will please forgive me if I stumble and mumble kind of through this. I watched it, I think, last week or the week before last. So I've watched like a lot of movies lately. Um, So I'm going to try not to stumble over it. And I don't want to. You need to go into this movie and watch it and enjoy it. As As you've already seen. Or you could tell from the tone of my voice, I really dug this flick. And uh, so I'm going to get right into it. Star Slammer, 1986. The original title of this film is called Prison Ship. The genre of this is an action comedy sci-fi. The well, I'll just go ahead and give you the synopsis here. I don't know. What would you rather have? Why am I asking you as if I can even hear you? Because I can hear you. All right. The director of this film was Fred Olin Ray. And the name may sound familiar. So if you're into cult cinema, stuff like that, I mean, you'll, you should recognize him. Fred Olin Ray. I mean, he's done such wonderful movies as Steven Seagal, Sniper, the special ops thing. Uh, I mean, he's got a really long list of movies, such movies as Biohazard and The Alien Dead and Cyclone, Arm Response, Deep Space, Terminal Force, Warlords, Hunting Fear. The dude knows his stuff. Okay, Star Hunter was he was the video of it. it you can look it up on IMDb. So anyway, Fred Olin Ray. Writers was like a whole bunch of people. I don't really think it would matter all that much. And it stars Sandy Brooks, Susie Stokey, and Ross Hagen. <sighs> The synopsis of Star Slammer. Two women who have been unjustly confined to a prison planet plot their escape, all the while having to put up with lesbian guards, crazed wardens, and mutant rodents. That's not the full synopsis of what actually got me. 
And I think if you looked up the synopsis in other places, you might say, I mean, it mentions everything in this thing, like Astro Zombies. So fans of Astro Radio Z, you're going to want to dig this. All right, let's go to the cover art for Star Slammer The Escape. All right, you had the font, which is just typical 80s zooming font. It's hard to explain. It looks like it's just zooming from left to right across the cover of the VHS. Uh, This is actually a poster. It looks like they scanned a movie poster on this, and I would totally totally put this on my wall it says untamed uncaged unleashed in space and you've got a chick scantily clad what looks like leather in her right hand she is holding um an imperial stormtrooper class uh laser rifle uh, like the just your standard blaster that a stormtrooper from star wars would use so that's really funny and she's got a spiked studded collar around her neck with a chain leading up to it um you have in the background a spaceship blasting another spaceship with lasers you have in the bottom right some dude who looks like he walks straight out of the set of mad max like the road warrior he looks really i actually thought it was him the guy with assless chaps i thought it was him and then in the bottom left you've got what looks like the cast from return of the living dead so it's a vidmark release i don't know why i'm trying not to ramble i'm just trying to explain how much how much I love this movie. All right, this is a prison film. And if you're familiar with like prison films, prison exploitation movies, this movie sets itself up to be that. However, and I really don't get, I'm in no way am I getting preachy on this ever. I despise all of that. If any of y'all are my friends, y'all know that. I don't preach on this. I don't care. Everybody's fine. We're all the same. Crap. It doesn't matter. So I don't even bother about virtue signaling or none of that bullshit. I don't care. But I do feel <laughs> that I should bring this up with the film. And I will. Just talking about like the the way it treats their female cast. I've already said it's an exploitation film, so I've probably caught your interest in that. And this is an exploitation film, but it's not what you would think it's I said it's refreshing because here's the refreshing part. It's not in a Nazi death camp. Like n- most of the time when you see these prison movies, like two women forced to find love at the hands of the SS tyrant. And it's just like, OK, I get it. We've seen one. We've seen them all. And if you're into that, they're pretty cool. I mean, as a little kid, I will admit, you know, they're, they're kind of cool. You just you want to see that you're going to see two chicks get it on and in a nice little softcore porny way that you normally would have to watch scrambled cable vision late at night on channel 99. Not that I ever did that. <laughs> so this is a prison flick, a women's prison flick. We already know that. However, there's a whole lot going on in this film. Like, we've got subplot happening. The writers have built a world and a system of government, of governance. And so there's a whole lot going on in the background that will intersperse throughout the film, as well as some stuff that kind of, that reminds me of Paul Verhoeven. Like, it would just bring in random stuff like commentary from a TV show, like they're watching TV in the cafe or the cafeteria of the prison ship they're watching a tv game show and so it's just really interesting intriguing so as it kicks off it tells you the background story 
of whatever. I can't really remember it. And I'll, that's fine because you want to watch this. And it goes to a planet. <laughs> the planet was named Arouse or A-R-O-U-S. And all I can think of was like, <laughs> so that's the name of it. So it wears its camp humor on its sleeve. We are introduced on the planet to a shapely lady named her whose real name is Sandy Brooke. Her name is Tara. And uh, she's just prancing around the planet. And then there's like a, I think it was a crashed ship or no, there's an old guy walking along. Somehow or another, your Imperial Guard or whatever shows up on the planet and start chasing this chick around. And what I needed to mention about this, like as far as the women in prison thing, is you know this is an exploitation flick. So you're going to get that. However, only during the very beginning, because you're expecting it, wondering if it's going to get slightly rapey with the whole thing, and I was happy to say that this movie never really did that. When I say really, there was a part at the beginning where, yes, the dude who looked like he came from the Road Warrior, he like has her pinned. And you can see that, you know, lascivious grin that he's given her. He pins her hands down, but it's only for like maybe five seconds before she throws his hand in a fire or acid or whatever and melts it off. So other than that one scene... And the campy exploitation parts of it, there's really, there is no rapiness to it. And I feel like <laughs> I'm not even going to go out on a limb to say that they respected anybody in this film. This film has no respect at all. It's an exploitation prison flick. However, it was nice to actually see something different. Like I said, it didn't take place in a Nazi death camp. It takes place in a spaceship. Somebody made a full-on background story to this thing, like background political nature and stuff. We have a system of government that you meet, the, like you see these people. So anyway, the chick's taken up to the prison ship. And on the prison ship, it's got a warden. And the lady, Tara, she is introduced to her other inmates on the prison ship. And they are all beautiful with their mid-80s hairstyles, and they're buxom, and they're naturally 80s, I guess. They look natural. <laughs> You're going to see boob. This is a prison ship exploitation flick. So, you know, the prudes just, you, I already told you, warned you, it's an exploitation movie. So, you know you're going to see a boob shot, or four, if you're lucky. So, you're going to see the main chick. You're going to see her rack. And she, yeah, and I mean, again, she's not the greatest of actresses, so I'm pretty sure I know why she was hired for the film. That's no slam. It just it is what it is. The other chicks in the uh, the prison ship, that's what it's called. <laughs> the other chicks where they all run the gamut. Um, but again, it's like different. There's no real. It's got a slightly. I'm trying to think like a slight innuendo at one scene, but there's no, none of the ones where the chicks just fall in love and start getting it on with each other. There's not. You have your stereotypes among the gang. You've got the brain. You've got the, <laughs> you've got the brawn. I was about to say the broad, but they're all that. <laughs> so you got the brain and you've got the brawn. And she reminds me of Varicosa. If you ever watched in Libby Colors, like, yeah, hold on. I'll get the beers. It's just, <laughs> just watch it. It's really funny. But she's still gorgeous, as if that matters. But, I mean, to 10-year-old me watching this, it did. In all, 
The trailer was better than the movie. <laughs> I will admit that. It had its setups, but we were never treated to any hokey or forced sex scenes that were uncomfortable. There was an uncomfortable-ish type sex scene. I say ish. You just have to watch it. Um, And I'm trying to think here, again, I never want to spoil movies, so I don't want to spoil this one. I just am trying to warn you. If you want exploitation in sci-fi, this is your movie. I mean, seriously. You need to listen to Trailer Jerks, and <laughs> then you need to like maybe listen to this, and hopefully, I, and if I still haven't convinced you, if you're still on the fence about this, just don't, don't waste your time because it's just it's one of those films. But if I have intrigued you with anything I have said up to this point, I feel like you're really going to enjoy this film. It's got everything. I will we'll just do this. I won't even ramble too much about it. I'm already getting along in the tooth with this as it is. Other than the fact, let's see, exploitation flick, prison ship chicks. Okay, that should interest you. You see her rack twice and a lot of side boob and butt and thigh. Okay, so we'll get the base <laughs> things out of the way. Um, sci-fi, you're in space in a prison ship. The settings and set design are incredible. Like, for this movie to have barely any money, this thing was awesome. Like, the set designs and set pieces were incredible. Uh, the acting, we won't even worry about that. <laughs> we'll just go back to the set designs. It was really cool. <laughs> it had special effects. Most of which were practical. Uh, this film had aliens. It like had a battle with aliens. It had. It actually had a couple of decent blood spurts, like blood sprays. It was really cool. Had chicks duking it out, like fighting each other. And let's see. You just about see a boob shot in that one too. The cover art. I have described it before. We got a chick in leather with the little tie thing. So we're seeing some ample boobage. She's got a laser gun, and she's got a chain collar. Uh, she's got furry boots. You've got people in the bottom left-hand corner in a control room area thingy. And then in the right-hand corner, you got a dude in goofy armor, awesome armor, might I add. And in the background, you've got spaceships blasting each other. Everything that is on this cover was in the movie and more. So I am happy. Like, seriously, I do have to say her hairstyle in the cover is like incredible. Because in the movie, I don't really dig like her hair for the most of it but there is a part where like i guess there's a different hairstylist because this one scene her hair's one way and immediately the next scene it's another way and then it goes back to the other way it's really funny anyway star slammer and i loved it i bought the blu-ray this again this may not be for you but everything that i have described up to this if you are still with me i feel like you might enjoy this flick watch a trailer listen to trailer jerks and, you know, ultimately form your own opinion. But I love this film. I actually bought the Blu-ray, so that'll tell you how much I enjoyed it. I'm sure it was an impulse purchase, but still. Anyway, I am Daniel. This has been The Bottom Rack, and thank you very much for listening. I will holler at y'all later. gonna re-record this tomorrow when he's stone sober not like three sheets of the wind like he is kind of right now well i mean i would actually I, I, this would be a better podcast if i was actually three sheets of the wind i know i heard the last uh shot on video one yeah he sounded like that by the end of it jeez
Actually, I didn't drink at all. <laughs> your poor, your poor fucking girlfriend though, making her watch that goddamn movie. Holy shit! Oh, she loved it. You loved Gun Blast, didn't you? No. Yeah, she did. No. Yeah, she did. She loved it. She fucking loved it. Oh man, Gun Blast! I watched like three or four more of his movies. Yeah. I need well, to have like a Nick Millard retrospective of this show because people I, need to see I, his yeah. movies i started one of them i, I can't remember one. which one maybe 357 magnum or something oh, oh god his action movies are some of the worst things i've ever seen but i love them <laughs> i am like like vaughn is obsessed with andy milligan stuff nick millard hits something with me where i am just obsessed it is it feels like somebody that had never actually seen a movie in his life putting an action film together. Yet he was like, a, he was a smut art house director. Yeah. And, so uh, long. I've, only seen, I've only seen the smut stuff and the horror stuff. I didn't see the action stuff on him. Cause all those crazy fat Ethel films and the yep. currently insane. Yep. He knows. And a couple of the films he did in the late seventies, those smut films. I'm like, Oh, these are awesome. Like those are definitely films you should see if you can find. Those the uh, the couple of smut films he did for the per podcast at Orgy Castle. I think you'd pro you'd get a kick out of it. I don't know if she'd get a kick out of it. <laughs> Paula likes a lot of the same stuff, so she yeah. might get a kick out of it. I do not think she would get a kick out of Gun Blast, no, or the action stuff. They no. they are a little too nonsensical and boring. Yeah, because <laughs> I Gun Blast is legitimately. There, nothing happens in that movie. It is, it will yeah, blow I, I your heard, fucking mind. I heard your review. I love the the comment that you can't ever tell if two people are the, in the same room. <laughs> it's awesome. funny when you when you talk about that and you think about us complaining about Andy Milligan's editing. Mm-hmm. Andy right. Milligan might as well be one of the greatest editors of all time compared to Nick <laughs> yeah. Millard. Right, yeah. right. Because you don't have that problem at all. Nope. Oh, my you, God. You understand the space for the most part. I guess Sweeney Todd, not really. Well, most of the no. people in Andy Milligan's movies actually speak like human beings. <laughs> <laughs> They're not like aliens that came down and are trying to approximate human beings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It had been so long since I had seen like Crazy Fat Ethel in, uh, you know, the criminally insane movies and Cemetery mm-hmm. Sisters and stuff like that. So seeing Gum Blast was just like it sidestruck me in a way I, I hadn't been sidestruck in a really long time. So I went down a rabbit hole big time. I watched 357 Magnum. I watched The Terrorists. I feel time. like uh, that seems to be a common thing that happens. I think um, who's is it? Uh, Eric, yes, he mentioned it in one of the show that you know he used to be a horror guy, and it seems like that's what happens. You know, you're into horror movies, and you get into all these really shitty B movie, B horror movies, and then all of a sudden you discover that action movies are just as bad and oh, fun in the same way, and like that, it's almost like a neglected corner. <laughs> well, I almost think the reason why action movies are so easily laughed at and so easy to kind of just jump into and kind of just have a goofy fun time is because the vast majority of them take themselves so goddamn seriously that it, it the the testosterone and the masculinity and how we're supposed to identify with these you know protagonists as males is so laughable 
Yeah. Like they take themselves so goddamn seriously. That one uh, uh, vinegar syndrome just started this new line VSA. And yeah. um, the one of them is uh, what is it? Something feud. It's uh, Frank Stallone. Yeah. Ooh. It is so funny. I well, was dying laughing. Yeah, I have it. Um, I'm going to look this up right now. It's uh, they, they released that in Evil Town. And Evil, Evil Town, Town is actually really good. It, it's a it's another compilation type thing like Spookies where it's like two different movies. They put it oh, together. Oh, okay. Sure, and, sure, sure. And, and one of them is uh, the just a reshoot or a reimagining of evils of the night, which is um, Savage Harbor. Yeah. Savage I'm looking Harbor. at it right now. It's so Harbor. funny. Yeah. Oh my God. It's Frank Stallone. There's this, there's this yeah, five minute easy. long, like love montage scene be- between him and the female lead. And it's so loveless. It is so passionless and he can't act for anything. Like, you know, they, they direct him to, to look longingly at, <laughs> at, the, at the female. And he just stares like he's thinking about something, like thinking of what he needs to buy at the grocery store. Yeah, yeah he yeah. needs to make himself a ham sandwich. <laughs> it's, it's I, I died laughing. Watching. All right, so this one, Savage Harbor, its alternate title is Death Feud. Yeah. Okay, Death Feud, that's what Okay, so this yeah. one is definitely worth it, you say. Yes. Yeah. All right, it you is. were talking to me in the chat off air about a bunch of good Vinegar Syndrome releases that have gone out there. What are some other releases that some of uh, my listeners would get into that you've gotten lately? Oh, well, I, I subscribe to them, so I keep getting them. Um, I mean, I think a lot of... What the- does that cost, uh, their subscription? So at the end of the year, uh, Black Friday, you can get all of the non-porno titles uh, for like 600 or something like that. But if you want the the hardcore stuff in there it's like 700 something okay and uh because there's not that many they they throw yeah, no. in a, they throw porn, in a handful porn is becoming less and less as as the year yeah, they're, they're moving away they, that was it. a big part of their catalog well, the, you know, the thing is they're yeah. running out of they're running out of film that because they only do stuff that's on film so if they, once they start getting into the 80s and shot on video stuff they can't they don't do any of that stuff so once it starts getting past that stuff sure. and you know, they can't do any of the other stuff that's kind of illicit. Like they can't do it, touch any of the Tracy Lord stuff unless they want to edit it. Yeah. You know, so they're kind of running out of things. I think, and also I think they realize that the people who are buying their stuff are buying more and more of the horror and cult stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually it's more of the hardcore that are picking up the hardcore stuff. You know what well, I mean? Of course. I mean, like, if you go to cinema wasteland, the vast majority of the stuff that they're, they're yeah. moving there, it's all the horror stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, so but like, I, the ones like Suckling, I love that. Oh God, uh, that movie is fucking insane. <laughs> so funny. Uh, the the uninvited, which is that yeah, crazy cat, cat inside one. of a cat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, which yeah. which predates Captain Marvel. That is that yeah. is the cat with the alien. <laughs> it predates Captain Marvel. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really good. You know the you know the uh, the internet guys. Um, uh, I think it was either found footage festival or uh, everything is terrible. Well, I think it's everything is terrible. They did like a three minute version of uninvited hilarious. Yeah. We do what you were basically saying to do with Andy Milligan. They just cut down to all the funny parts. I would love to see. Oh, I'm, I'm serious about it. I would love to see all this mid era Milligan cut down to an hour. All of it. Yeah. I bet you it would, it would feel so much better. 
Like all these, I'm not even asking for just like a super cut of maybe like 15 minutes of the movie. Just cut the shit down to an hour. And I bet you these movies, I would, I bet you I would even actually enjoy the rats are coming if it was only an hour long. Somebody could look at these films, watch it a couple of times and go, okay, I can cut that scene out of it and it would make no difference. You know what I mean? But the thing is, like, you can watch any of these films and you can pinpoint the one scene in that film where it's like, what does this have to do with anything? And cut it right out, and it takes out 15 minutes of the film right there. It's like, oh, right. yeah, perfect. But you know then I mean? you make a separate cut of just the incestuous relationships that don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ghastly ones would be an extremely great movie cut yeah. down to only like maybe 65 minutes. Okay, yeah. maybe. There's a maybe, for you. maybe, maybe. Uh, but anyway, vinegar syndrome. They right. have a bunch of releases that I've been eyeballing up. Like they just released Lost in the Dust that we've covered yep. here on the podcast before, yep. which is an amazing Par Bartel movie. Bartel, yeah. You should definitely check that one out. Grandmother's House, yeah, which is uh, Frank Stevens gimmick. You mm-hmm. definitely should. Check. That's one of her best movies, hands down. Yeah, there's been a bunch of good stuff they've been tossing out there lately. I feel like they really got into the big time when this month because they released Putney Swope. Yeah. Uh, which is a, you know, that's a pretty big title. That's going to bring, that's going to bring people that never even heard of Vinegar Syndrome to them. Well, I've had, I've had that film on DVD. Criterion put it out through their Eclipse label on a box set with a bunch of other stuff from him. Mm. And I've been kind of, and everybody's like, why the hell didn't they put that out like on its own? And like, I guess it was whatever kind of contract they made with, Downey Senior to get them out, and then yeah, they put it. They just put that out on Blu-ray. It's like holy shit, yeah. But it's like that or t- taking t- Tiger Mountain. Did you get that one? Yeah. You should I, have you watched it yet? Not, not yet. That's the one uh, with, yeah. with Bill yeah, Paxton. With, with Bill Paxton's first role. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's a really good film. And there's two versions of that film on there. And like uh, Night Beast, they put the Don Dollar Night Beast out, which is fucking awesome. That movie. What does the transfer look like on that thing? Oh. I started watching. I watched like half. Can you of it. actually tell what's going on in that movie in yes. that transcript? You yeah. can, yeah. And they do a real good job in tr- making that stuff look actually like good. You know, they clean the shit out of those films. Yeah, they and do. Yeah, a great, every Vinegar Syndrome release that I have looks phenomenal. And that film's a bonkers fucking film. If you've never seen Night Beast, oh my god! <laughs> oh, uh, Don Dolar is that the guy that did Fiend? Uh, mm-hmm. I believe so. That was uh, that was the first Don Doler that I watched. That was good. Yeah, it looks like it was shot in like the neighborhood that you grew up in. It's like it just captures this yeah. <laughs> uh, suburban housing development. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. They put a flesh on a Forty Second Street, yep, which is a phenomenal which, transfer. Which is if if you're going to get into Andy Milligan, it's probably the one you should start with. To be honest, if not Nightbirds, I think yeah. Nightbirds or Flesh Pot should yeah. be the starting point now nightbirds is a little more like like right. i had said in i think in the first episode i think i had talked that, that it is much more along the lines of like um the french new wave yeah i guess so it, or at least just the look of it and some of the right. feel of the characters and the way that it feels mostly in, improvised mm-hmm. it kind of has that feel of the french new wave of like the yeah. 50s and stuff like that much more of a porn film so if you're not used to that you'll be a little more fucked <laughs> oh, a flesh pot you're talking yeah, yeah. What's his fucking name? Henry Reams is in it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I don't want to play my hand, but <laughs> it it may be my favorite Andy Milligan movie. No, shocker. Weird. 
So let's let's uh, stop the episode here and let's get to the portion of the episode where my guest shamelessly shill the fuck out of you because I don't if we keep talking, I'm going to end up giving away all my secrets for future episodes on what I think about the rest of the movies we're going to be talking about here on the podcast. So, Evan, is there any parting words you want to say? Because usually you do not have anything to shill on this podcast. Yeah, same thing. I don't have any. I, I, I keep thinking I'm gonna come up with some witty remark to end with, but I forgot. You gotta have you know, a tagline. You I know. Have Paula try. I know Paula tries to do it too, but I forgot. I, I put her on the spot though. Admittedly, she, I put her on. Do, the spot. yeah, she yeah. Knows it's coming every fucking week, but I, I still put her on the spot. Gotta learn. I gotta learn. <laughs> well, again, as always, thank you for coming on, Evan. I always Absolutely. enjoy having you on. So, Vaughn, chill your ass off, bud. Okay. My podcast is Motion Motion Picture Massacre. That is motionpicturemassacre.wordpress.com. The last film uh, films I recorded on were about everybody's favorite daughter raping whack job, Klaus Kinski, uh, with Nosferatu, the Werner Herzog film, and Nosferatu in Venice, the terrible Italian ripoff sequel. <laughs> um, it's a, it's they're good times. You should check them out. Um, another podcast that I'm affiliated with is like this one this year. Um, podcast mania that's podcastmediafun.com the last episode we did we talked about fubar mighty python um live at the was it hollywood bowl uh what else we compared and contrasted the prowler and hell knight for some strange reason even though we wow, already done a hell of a combination prowler. of movies well like the whole hell knight and prowler thing was like was like trying to figure out which one we liked better so it was like a nice big conversation about that it was actually fun even though i'm a much bigger fan of the prowler than it, hell knight um, you know, we've been doing some weird like Mighty Python stuff because Jeff, our main host, he's Canadian and he's an older gentleman. He's never watched Mighty Python before. So we're kind of making him watch Mighty Python and see what he actually likes, which is funny. Um, but uh, yeah, that's just came out. Uh, anything else? No, I'm on this show trying to, you know, burn the, the flag or the, the, the werewolf and the Dracula daughter. Um, to get people to watch these fucking movies. Maybe, you know, one day, Derek will figure out that this is actually great art, and that all the smut he's watching really is fucking with his brain. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, off air, these two boys are trying to convince me that my other podcast, podcast, uh, I can't even say it, the podcast in Orgy Castle is completely ruining me for movies. Like, I can no be objective about the stuff that I grew up loving which I mean this is the longest running podcast I have for a reason because <laughs> for most of my life I've watched exploitation and horror film but now all of a sudden you know in the last year I started doing this sput podcast and now I no longer can be objective about film <laughs> if it doesn't have titties flopping all over the place I have no idea what it is yeah ding ding definitely yeah <laughs> you're right yeah <laughs> well I think you know, you are going to be surprised coming up soon. Mm-hmm. As I, I said last episode that we did yeah. on the Andy Milligan, that that was probably going to be the low point for me of everything. And from here on out, I may be a lot more positive. Yeah. About and also, listeners, if you're not, if you if you get this, this is the halfway point uh, of our discussions on these films. Yeah, we only have four more episodes of Andy Milligan to go because we're tag teaming all these movies. We're not just doing one every episode. We're doing like two or three movies an episode. Yes, and there's five more months, so that means we may get this done before the end of the year. 
Wink, wink. Wink, <laughs> wink. We'll see if that actually happens. I mean, <laughs> our schedules are a little crazy every once in a while. Yeah. And Thanks for joining us. I hope to this point, some of you have gone out. Even if I had, you know, I've been really dogging Andy Milligan. Yeah, Thankfully so. Um, I have been dogging him. I hope you guys have been going out and kind of checking some of these out because that's kind of the point of these episodes. I am so like somebody talking shit about these movies isn't going to deter me yeah. from going to see them. I mean, if you're an exploitation fan, we I think we've said po- something positive about just about every one of these movies. Even if we've hated them in some capacity, there is you, a no, no, no. We back the truck up. You've hated them in some capacity. Me oh, and yeah. okay, Mister Bloodthirsty Butchers. Uh, hey, what? What? Okay, one, one bad fucking note. Uh, <laughs> I'm the one usually sitting there at the, on the top of the milk crate going. Watch this shit, and you're while well, you're sitting there going, "Fuck you." I'm usually like, <laughs> <laughs> but folks, if you have been watching along with us and you have a f- favorite movie of Andy Milligan's and you want to talk about it, let us know, and we'll we'll talk about it on the next show. Get a hold of me at Astro Radio Z Podcast at gmail.com or go to the old gimmicks group and please just you know spout about Andy Milligan and let us know what's your favorite Andy Milligan movie. Where do you rank what we've done so far? If you've been watching along with us, we'd love to hear you talk yeah. about Andy Milligan. Mm-hmm. So next episode that we're going to do in the next coming month, months, who knows? It'll be whenever <laughs> it happens. It's Nightbirds and Flesh Pot on 42nd Street. Hands down two of my favorite yeah. movies. So I'm excited to revisit these two movies. So mm-hmm. folks, Thanks for sticking around with us, and we'll catch you next time. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at Podcast at gmail.com. You want to hear more than just the regular show? Go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash all the gimmicks and get not only bonus episodes of Astro Radio Z, but other podcasts like All the Gimmicks and the podcast at Orgy Castle, all for the low price of $1 a month. Coming for me, Derek Carey. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm